Okay. So we asked the question, how do you pick a king? How do you pick a leader? And that's where we left off last time. And I mentioned James Dobson and how people today value people. And we'll find that it's universal. People back then valued people the same way. So usually it's the oldest son of the existing king. But in Saul's case, it was Benjamin, the smallest tribe. But he was the son of blah, 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 a man of wealth. So there's the first one, oh, tied with the bucks, right? Then we see he had a son whose name was Saul and a handsome young man. He was not, he was, there was not a man among Israel more handsome than he. Yeah. So there's the, so, so there, I'm just recording from the Bible, bud. So there's the bucks and there's the brawn, but I don't think Saul had a monopoly on the brains. He was a little bit off there. From his shoulders up where he was taller than any of the other people. What that means is somebody else's head would only come to his shoulder, which meant he was a good foot taller, good foot taller than the others. Now yeah, that's going to, when is that going to become interesting? You, you hit the nail on the head. When is that height advantage over anybody else in Israel important? Uh, when they're being judged, I don't know. No, um, well, it's time for Goliath. Goliath, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. he yeah. should have been the one. If we look at you know physique versus Goliath. physique, he should have been the one, but he shirked his responsibility. Now, in David's case, right? The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's how he picked. The world needs a hero. And I will tell you, when I was growing up, my dad was my hero, okay? And if you come to my Sunday school classes, there is seldom a week when I don't quote something from my dad or talk about an experience with my dad. That's a fancy getup. Well, yeah, that's a fancy getup. That was my kid sister's wedding. <laughs> Notice he's missing some fingers. No, oh, okay. Combining? Okay. No, he was not a farmer. We grew up in the coal regions, oh, okay. and at the time, he was born 1910, so that gives you a feel for the, the ages. So th- they would have pencils, but they didn't have on the back end like pencils today have the little brass and the eraser. So because it was the mining region, the cool thing was for the dads to get a blasting cap brass and put it on the end of the pencil so they could be really cool. Well, my grandfather was a bootlegger. He was thrown out of the mines. That's a totally different story. And my dad, walking to school, found a blasting cap, a live one. And so he's in the fourth grade, and he's trying to grind out the gunpowder from the blasting cap, and it went off in the class. And so he lost his fingers. How many did he lose? This one was at this knuckle. This one was at this knuckle. And this one was at this knuckle. All right. And he tried for me to take piano lessons and I was doing pretty well until somebody called me Liberace and I saw him on television. I said, I don't want to play piano anymore. (laughs) But he would sit and listen to me practice and just cry because he he, he he couldn't do it. And so I'm sure, and I've said this many, I have disappointed my dad so many, many times. And that was probably just one of the biggies. 
but outside the family, Yogi Berra was my hero. So if he did anything wrong, if he was a, a drunkard or a runner, I have no idea. He was my hero. I became a catcher in Little League. He was my hero. Who in the outside world do we have as a hero today? Somebody might say Donald Trump, and they might say that his uh, uh, Supreme Court nominees were responsible for the reversal of Roe versus Wade. And somebody else would say he's a dirtbag, right? Somebody would say John Kennedy was the last great Democrat president I've known of. And somebody else would say, well, he was a runaround. And if in your mind you go through the various personalities, it's hard to find a hero. Right? Your parents would be your heroes, your grandparents. Well, I was, I was, and am a blessed man. Mr. Biscus is my father. Well, I would be like you, my father would have been my hero. Okay, you know? okay. Mr. Biscus is my hero outside of the family because I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. And Mr. my brothers took his place when he was born. Because my oh, brother, that's sweet. My brother, my oldest brother, who just passed in December, he he walked the same path my father did. He was just he just had the heart of of God, you know, mm-hmm. in him, and he just was um, soft-spoken and mm-hmm. even key. Mm-hmm. He never heard raised voice or loud, you know, they were just that kind of nature. Mm-hmm. So my hero today will, is Jim Kreider. We just we just cheered from Sunday at church because this week was his 65th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's my hero. Every time I see him, I put my arm around him. He's about this tall. I call him my Moses, and he says, don't do that. so there's david he could have been somebody's hero and we're going to go through his high points and his low points he was a lustful husband he was a weak father he was a leader with partiality and yet he was a man after god's own heart mentioned both in the new testament as well as the old testament how does god choose people Considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Of course, there are some notable people in the Bible that were contrary to that. You have Moses, right? Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh, and he learned all of the education that the the ancient Egyptians could offer. There was Saul of Tarsus. Uh, historians say that he was so smart they had trouble giving him things to read just a brilliant brilliant man and you see the way he's written afterwards certainly inspired by the holy spirit but what great recall of that entire old testament but those things aside god hasn't chosen many wise or wealthy or uh, bloodline kinds of people he chooses he chooses common people and you know, as, as we raise our kids, we've got no clue if that kid's going to be the next Moody or Spurgeon or Tory, uh, Corey Ten Boom. We just don't know. And so God calls the normal people. And that's that's the point we're going to come out, uh, bring out regarding David. He was just a normal guy. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and he chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God, first of all, he's got a great sense of humor. He's got a great sense of timing. And he's got a great way of uh, 
changing people's lives. We're going to see Moses on one of these slides coming up, and you're going to see 40, 40, 40. Those were his years, 40 years with Pharaoh, 40 years in the desert, and 40 years in the desert leading people. So in the first 40 years, he learned that he was something. In the second 40 years, he learned that he was nothing. And in the last 40 years, he learned that God could do something with nothing. And so how does God choose people? He chooses just the normal people so that the human being may not boast in the presence of God. So why did God choose David? Well, I gave the first answer away. He's just a normal, a normal guy. Okay, we're going to see how normal. First of all, he chose David because of his spirituality. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that was David. He had his pluses and his minuses, but yet a man after God's own heart. Second, he chose, he chose him because of his humility. And I mentioned Psalm 80, uh, 78 earlier. Psalm 78 records the covenant of David. And that is that there, out, of his, out of his loins, there'll be a king who will reign forever. In Psalm 89, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. And we're going to see how, how we use the phrase low life to be derogatory these days, but how low of a life David had. You know, shepherds were always spurned. In the Bible times, New Testament Bible times, they weren't allowed to be witnesses in court because you can't trust a shepherd. They were considered the lowest. They were the lowest. Mm -hmm. When Joseph brought his brothers to Egypt, he tried to coach them. And he said, I want you to tell Pharaoh that you're keepers of livestock. Now, these brothers, they were slow studies because as soon as they got to talk to Pharaoh, they said they were shepherds. Mm -hmm. They were, And they were given the land over there at Goshen because the shepherds were spurned. They were the lowlifes. They, the, they were the scum of the earth. And so what was David? Scum of the earth. And then his integrity. Once again, Psalm 78. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. What does the word integrity mean? Or is that your question? That was my question. Okay. I also have a question. What's your question? Shepherds are important. They take care of livestock. Without shepherds, all your livestock would be gone. Why are they the lowest then? Well, people that watched cows weren't considered that low. All right. They're just, sheep are just filthy, nasty, stupid. That's, That's why the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Because sheep are stupid and filthy, and followers. If you've got one sheep that just goes the wrong way, the whole bunch just follow along. So shepherds were, so what does integrity mean? It's the way you behave when nobody's watching. How do you behave when you know you're not going to get caught, when you know that you're alone? That's integrity. So how did God train David? He trained him in solitude. How many brothers did David have, by the way? Seven. Seven, okay. Not as many um, as Joseph. Not as many as Joseph, that's true. But he had seven brothers. How many of them watched the sheep? One. Just one, okay. He trained him in solitude. 
He trained them in monotony. What's monotony? Boring. We talked about that earlier today. Monotony is boring. Okay. Obscurity. Off the beaten path. Okay. So if I was uh, a politician in Philadelphia, I would be in, in the center of things. If I'm just a homeowner in, in Southern Chester County, I'm a nothing. And if I had a cabin out in Montana, I would really be obscure. I would really be out of the way. Obscure means out of sight. And Bermuda. Well, Bermuda would not be too bad. <laughs> he also trained him in reality. And we'll expand on each of these. And there's Moses too. And there's the 40, 40, 40. And the 40 is in red. How do you think Moses felt on the backside of the desert watching sheep for 40 years? Think that'd be monotonous? Yeah. Yeah. You think it'd be boring? Especially after the life he lived. Especially after the life he lived. He had yeah. a rich life. Yeah. 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 A very rich life. The, he, he, was, he was top of the pile. Yeah. yeah. It would be boring. You'd be thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, I think I would feel that way sometimes. Like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. I could go back to Egypt and go to prison for a little while and then go back to my... <laughs> so David got the accelerated course. It didn't take him 40 years to learn. Yeah. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his fathers, for his father. That's solitude, obscurity, and monotony. There's an interesting quote from a commercial pilot. Somebody said, what's flying a plane like? And he said, well, it's several hours of pure monotony bordered by a few moments of sheer terror. <laughs> Ooh. take off and landing <laughs> yeah well, that's where reality comes in okay because then you see and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock that's reality that's why you're watching the sheep okay so, i went i went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth and if he rose against me i caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him now i can see david with his sling, taking care of beasts as they were coming closer, mm -hmm. all right? But when the beast is in the flock, and it's got one of the sheep, they, you know, and, and took a lamb from the flock. Beast mode. Okay. I, I visualize him a very strong young man, but small. Like, I visualize him the size of my son, Jonathan. Yeah. And I think... I think, you know, and the size of my son, Jonathan, coming up, I mean, see, I mean, I've seen lions and bears. So I'm like, that's a huge beast. Mm -hmm. And, but, uh, but you, you know, the almighty God was with him in him, I, you know, which tells me that you can defeat anything. Mm -hmm. So when Daniel was in the lion's den mm -hmm. and he came out of the den and they threw the accusers in, right. what did the lions do to the accusers? Before they up. even hit the ground. Before they, they hit the ground. Dead. They they grabbed them. Yeah. Full size guys dead before they hit the ground. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of beast that David was facing. All right. Amazing. Caught him by his beard. You you put your hand that close to a to a lion? I went to Philadelphia Zoo, well, a bunch of times, but the one time there was a Bengal tiger, and it was just before his feeding time. And when that tiger roared, I could feel my body vibrating. It was just, just amazing. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, it was that lion's feeding time because the lamb was in his mouth. 
When you think about it, though, he caught him by the beard. So mm -hmm. He yanked his jaw down, which means he couldn't bite. And he had to have enough strength to hold that yeah. to be able to come up and beat him. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I mean. It's just this amazing feat that he, you know. <laughs> so how hard of a punch you think he had to put in there to, to kill a lion? Is that amazing? Now, the, the weakest part of your brain is right here at the temple. I could see him going something like that. But what are the odds? I would bet on the lion every time. <laughs> yeah. So obscurity, solitude, monotony, and reality. So this is Alan Redpath, former pastor of Moody Memorial Church. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. But the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. And I added on the bottom, God is not in any hurry. But look at this one. You can become a father in a moment of passion, but it takes a lifetime to become a dad. Too bad we don't have more dads in here. We'll just save that for later. Okay, now, Saul and you, question mark. Saul and you. Do you have a Saul in your life? Now, I'm not talking about you as an individual. I'm talking about somebody next to you. Someone who irritates you or just bothers you. I'm not looking for examples. My ah, I just got done saying I'm not looking for examples. Okay. Well, I, I will feel. tell you there will come a time when you, treasures, when you treasure those siblings. I do treasure them, but they are always... Get in my head. I'm drawing. Like, no, I'll tell you something else. There'll come a time when you only remember the good things. Mm -hmm. And the bad things will all have a positive twist to them. I've said goodbye to two of them in the last few years. And now the third one will be gone. Uh, one brother. That's hard. It that's hard. hard. My siblings are still around. That's good. Yeah. Well, they were 21, 22, and 23 years older than me. So my wow. oldest sister, who is now passing, is 90 years old. You were a surprise. I was. Uh, uh, my dad, on his deathbed, said I was God's extra special blessing. There you go. There you go. Treasure that one. Mm -hmm. Treasure that treasure one. That. Okay. So if you happen to... Now, James, here you go. This one's for you. If you happen to have a Saul in your life, God knows all about it. He's part of... Those siblings are part of his plan. Got it? Okay. Now here's a verse from 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation or no trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. There's nothing that God's going to put in front of you that somebody else hasn't experienced before. Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, there's nothing new under the sun. Simply translated, been there, done that. But God is faithful. I think the King James has a word but right there. But God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted or tried beyond your ability, but always give you a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. So the Saul in your life might chafe you, but God will provide a way for you to escape. God selects a man after his own heart. So now we're going to go through the process the, the uh, event of how David got anointed. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? 
Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. That last verse, that last phrase of that verse is very interesting because when Abraham was going to offer Isaac, there was a quote, I have provided myself a sacrifice. That's one translation. The other translation is, I myself will provide a sacrifice. Now, the way that word myself in the sentence in English grammar means two very different things. I will provide myself, meaning I'm going to be the sacrifice. And I myself means I'm going to provide the sacrifice. And they're both true. So now we see this one. I've provided for myself a king. This isn't just talking about David. This is talking about Jesus. God's going to provide Jesus to be our king. Well, Jesus showed up. He was of 30 some years. He died. And rose again. And rose again. That's the key point. And rose again. And when he comes back, he's going to rule and reign forever. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Sounds like Moses. What did Moses say when uh, when uh, God told him to leave the burning bush and go to Israel? What did Moses say? He said, Pharaoh will kill me. He said, he said, who am I? He said, I can't, I can't speak. But Stephen, Acts 7, gave us a lot of details that aren't even in the Old Testament. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Did he lose his speech in 40 years? We don't know. Was he, um, did he lose his confidence? I would probably say yes to that one, okay? But was he capable? Yes, yes. Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. Now, Samuel asked that question, but if you read those verses and don't even read verse 2, basically, God ignored Samuel's protest. He says, fill your horn and go, and take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. He just totally ignored the protest. So, his last normal morning why would that be his last normal morning because he left his you know as a shepherd and became uh the king's well <laughs> he became the king's musician he became the and all those things that we had on on the screen when right. we started off all those things came to be this yeah. was his last normal he, i guess i i take it that he he got the king's wife but i always thought david to be young but i guess maybe he was of age to marry unless he had to wait to be married. well they got they married younger then too yeah, they, did marry they married younger then too so now i'm gonna ask the question was this his last normal morning and what we're going to bring out over the next half an hour is 
He was a shepherd. He comes out from the sheep's flock. He goes and becomes Saul's personal musician. But the Bible says he goes back and forth, keeping the sheep. It's like somebody becomes an Eagle Scout and they say, well, I'm not taking up the trash anymore. I'm an Eagle Scout. Well, guess what? David didn't have that problem. He was he was humble beyond all. So his last normal morning. So Samuel 16. And this continues on with the, the, the Lord's command. He says, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to him peacefully and trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Now, if we studied Samuel's life, you'll find that he was a circuit preacher. He went from place to place to place throughout the season. And the Bible says, and he judged Israel. So what does that mean? He would go and just like if we have a problem, we go to the magistrate. We hear a lot about the Supreme Court these days. He was basically the Supreme Court of Israel at the time. Okay. So if he's coming to if he's coming to Cochranville, if the Supreme Court is coming to Cochranville and he says, John, I'm having dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> I think I'd be a little trembling, too. OK. And my wife would say, my house is a mess. <laughs> Women are like that. You know, they say I could have just completely cleaned. The, I mean, she could have just completely cleaned the house. And somebody walks. Oh, the house is a mess. <laughs> That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. OK. So he comes peaceably and all the people are nervous. And keep in mind, it, just, it isn't just Jesse's family. It's the entire neighborhood. And what we're going to find is it wasn't just Jesse who wasn't thinking about David up on the hill. It was the entire neighborhood. They weren't thinking about David. David was just that kid. He was just the, the guy up there taking care of the sheep. And, and Samuel said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, clean yourself up, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, the, the whole tribe, the whole town of Bethlehem knew he was there. But he invited Jesse and his sons, seven, not eight. So that one is just, just left out. And when they came, he looked on Eliab, he's the oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. You know, we've just covered the verse that says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. Notice he says the height of his stature. Saul was already head and shoulders taller than others in Israel. But you could infer from this that David was head and shoulders smaller than the average on top of that yet. Maybe he didn't have his growth spurt yet. Okay. And look at these guys. These are pretty buff, right? Right? They were working the fields. Yes. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. So he goes through. You go right ahead. He looks at Eliab, says, ah, not him. Looks at Abinadab, ah, not him. Looks at Shammah, ah, not him. Goes through all seven. 
And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, Samuel doesn't know about David. But he was told he was going to anoint somebody. So Samuel doesn't know. And there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So then you see in the picture, there's old Samuel, and there's David. And the Bible says that David was ruddy, and he had weak, some translations, weak eyes, and some translations, beautiful eyes. So that ruddy means, if you remember the old Superman comics, what color hair did Superman have? It was black, but it had highlights in it, right? Said it's black, yeah. Well, in, in his case, they were blue. I think they were blue highlights. I'll have to look it up. But at any rate, if you went to Israel and you looked at the common people, they all have black hair. Somebody that's blonde, that's that comes out of the bottle. But some of them will have red highlights, and they consider that beautiful. You look at the people, and the vast, vast majority of them have very dark brown eyes. David had maybe hazel eyes. All right. So he was he was different. He was he was handsome, but he was he was humble. He was lowly. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now there's a difference between the spirit of the Lord that indwells in me, the spirit is not the difference, it's the way he exercises himself. The way the spirit has indwelt me versus the spirit dealing with saved people outside of the church age. There's a verse in John's gospel that says, the spirit is now with you, but will soon be in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit did not come until the day of Pentecost. And so the spirit rushed upon David from that day forward. We're also going to read where the spirit departed from Saul. We'll also read, well, we won't read it because it's a story of Samson. But Samson on that last straw, when Delilah said, uh, the Philistines are upon you. The Bible says that Samuel did not know that the spirit had departed from him. Samson. Samson, thank you. Yes. So now Josephus. He's a historian. He's not necessarily a Christian. He was a historian back right after the time of Jesus. And so uh, people look at him as history, but his words are not inspired. Josephus and the ancient rabbis would say, keep in mind, it's not scripture for take it what it's worth. Josephus anoints David and whispers to him and he says, David. Now you can speak, James. What did Samuel say when he anointed David? David. Uh huh. Well, that was a little bit more, but David, you will be the next king. Okay. So Samuel leaves the scene, and Jesse and the brothers, they say, Hey, what did Samuel tell you? Well, it's a secret. Ah, oh, come on, tell us. What did Samuel tell you? Sal's going to be king. 
So what we're going to learn as we dig through these next few chapters is that uh, for David to become of his own, he had to overcome his family. He had to overcome the experts. We'll expand on this shortly. And then he had to overcome himself. He had to overcome his family. And James, you said it, that your siblings chafe you. They they bother you. They irritate you. And Jesus said in Bethlehem, he said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. His own brothers did not believe him. So David had to conquer the, the family problems. Then he had to conquer the expert problems. You know, we've never done it that way before. In the case of Saul, Saul said, here, try on my armor. This is, this is how soldiers do it. And finally, he had to overcome himself. He had to rely on his relationship with Jesus Christ and not on himself. And so, David, you will be the next king. And that had to rattle around in his brain if, in fact, Samuel said that. Now, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Keep in mind, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. There are several times in the Bible where the Bible says there's an evil spirit from the Lord or there's a harmful spirit from the Lord. And there's this thing that we call the permissive will of God. Before the devil could bother Job, what did the devil need? Permission. He needed permission. That's exactly right. Now we're going to get a little bit obscure on you. When it was time for Ahab to die, all of his prophets came to him and they said, oh, King Ahab, you're going to be victorious. Go out there and fight. Where did those prophets get their motivation? The Bible says a spirit from the Lord said, I will go and tell Ahab a big old lie. The Lord said, go ahead. The Lord said, go ahead. So the Lord allows things to happen. And now a spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. So now David is an interesting character. He's six miles from Jerusalem. Well, six miles from back then is different than six miles from now. And he, he wasn't a worship leader going from church to church leading, leading worship. He was on the side of a hill, right? Another interesting point is that music that music was to soothe him. Music is one of the largest influencers of the day. The soul. There was a survey where kids were asked to rank the, the places where they would find peace. Number one was music. It was ahead of drugs, was ahead of dope, was ahead of alcohol, was ahead of sex. Pastors, there were the, like a top 40. Pastors were number 39. I don't know what number 40 was. I can't remember. Hmm. But music is where they went for their, for their solace. Certainly. I'm not sure if you guys went over this already. Um, wasn't Lucifer 
Good point. Good point. I was going to go there. But yes, Lucifer was the musician. He was in charge of the music before he fell. Okay. And so uh, music could be good news for you. Music could be bad news. I think as it's, uh, the, well, I don't think it's in the Bible, but there's that phrase that says garbage in, garbage out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly like the kids. I used to get on the kids, some of the music, it's like garbage in, garbage out. Like if you're listening to this stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, you need to like, even like my granddaughter, Juliana, you know, she's, she got into some old music, which is fun to listen to, but then she started listening to some of this rap music. I was like, you know, Garby Jane, Garby mm-hmm. Jow. And she's like, what's that mean? I says, when you're listening to stuff that has bad words or mm-hmm. bad meanings, mm-hmm. or it's, it's, that's what fills your soul. And mm-hmm. I said, then that's what you comes out of you. You can't, you can't have that stuff coming in and it not start being a part of you mm-hmm. and uh but anyway that's you know kind of also beaten past there a little bit. i heard <laughs> i heard a great story recently there was a dad and the kids came and they said we want to watch this movie and the dad knew that the movie wasn't the right kind of movie and they said well what about it and they said well there's only one bad part in it and the dad said sorry you're not going to watch the movie so then the dad went and baked some chocolate chip cookies And he served the cookies. He said, but there's one thing I want to tell you. There's a little bit of dog poop that I added to the recipe. The kid said, we're not going to eat that. Well, it's just a little bit. It's just one part. We're not going to eat that. And so he, you know, he made his point. Yeah, but we're studying. We're yeah, bless you. We're studying David and David is there is Saul and he's being tormented. And the people who called for David, they didn't say he was just a good musician. They said, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skill, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. If you study Joseph, you know, he went into Potiphar, and he did well in Potiphar. And then he went into prison and he did well in prison. And the Bible says the Lord was with him. And several people in the Bible, not a lot, but that phrase is attached to the Lord is with him. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. So now what's an armor bearer? He, he took care of the armor. He took care of the armor. Sure. He sure it was uh, taken care of when he took it off or mm-hmm. put it mm-hmm. on. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to come to an, an interesting thing. It's not written in scripture, but it's going to be an interesting point. When, David gets in front of Goliath. Well, at the Goliath scene, not when he gets in front of him. Saul says to his armor bearer, try on my armor. David went back and we'll get to that point shortly. David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Hey, dad, I'm Saul's musician. I'm Saul's uh, armor bearer. Let the brothers take care of those sheep. 
when there was time out at the court, he went back and took care of the sheep. There's there's this humility coming out. That was David. All right. I think, uh, yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. He loves his sheep. Just says Jesus loves the, you know, he's the shepherd. Yeah, exactly. And I think the same way with his, uh, even though um, I think David having, um, you know, like a man after God's own heart, I think he had that heart where he probably also felt uh, he wanted to continue to, to also be there for his father. His own. Well, that's a great father. point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, I think that's how I would feel as maybe I would have a bigger position, but you know, here's my father that raised me and loved me. And I would want to be able to do what I, I could continue mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And David obviously had that opportunity to do both. He did yes. both and he did. Yeah. Yeah. So now there's a picture of David trying on that armor uh, at the point of Goliath. But now if I were the armor bearer and I was in charge of polishing that helmet and I was by myself in the, in the closet polishing the helmet and I'm just a kid, I think I tried on. That was where the integrity comes in. Yeah. He, he didn't, didn't try, try on the helmet because he didn't know it wouldn't fit until he was on the field of battle. Right. He was humble. He had integrity. He was told, take care of the armor. Don't play with the armor. Okay. And there's Saul's sword. Guy would guarantee slice my finger or something if I was playing with that sword. And it's probably this tall. Yeah. I mean, at least. And David being what they fought around five foot something. Mm-hmm. His soul probably came up to, uh, under his armpit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, let's keep in mind, David was shorter than his brothers. Right. And his brothers were shorter than Saul. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And Saul might have been there. The sword might have been even taller. So that was the last slide because I was planning on ending at 11 and it's now 1058. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. So I'm going to turn this recording off or try to. A-S-T. I don't know how I did what I did. Well, I may have just destroyed the recording. I don't know. (laughs) 